You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 463, a music movie quiz, cancelling cancel culture and Zoom call etiquette. Stop waving. That's all coming up after Manic Street Preachers and Dylan and Caitlin. The blank page awaits. What a terrific track. They really are the greatest uh, rock music writers and performers of the modern era. Featuring the Anchoress, which is the stage name of the Welsh musician Catherine Ann Davis, from 2018, and a single from the album Resistance is Futile. The Manic Street Preachers with the Anchoress and Dylan and Caitlin. Mm, always good value, the Manic Street Preachers, I think. It's interesting, like you say, how, how long their career has been and how they've managed to go through different iterations, but have still, I think, made music that's of very good quality throughout. I think the orchestration on that track is really beautiful, and I think, it's like you say, there's fantastic writers. I think it's so mm. well done. My only slight gripe with the Manics, and I'm almost sad to say this because I like him so much. They come across as really decent people. I really like James Dean Bradfield, but... 
I, he, I, I find he, he only really has one setting, doesn't he? And so it's a bit of a shame that he slightly oversings this to the point where I was just getting into the track as it started and I thought it was really lovely. And then he kind of, he's got a lovely yearning voice, but I, mm. I, I wish that he kind of took his foot off the pedal a little bit sometimes because it's great when he's doing things like Faster, which is so fantastic. And, you know, and, and some of the are designed for life and some of their kind of peppier ballads, I get that. But... I would like him to sing a little bit softer. I mean, he can do it. Small black flowers in the sky, whatever yeah. that's called. It's great. But I felt he oversang that a bit. But I, I almost feel bad saying that because it's otherwise an excellent song. And they are. I think he's a really decent and talented chap. So I'm sorry. I, 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 I do feel that way. But uh, but it, it, I, I feel bad that I do. <laughs> he does just kind of explode into uh, songs, doesn't he? It's <laughs> chugging along and then boom, there he is. I know. And, 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 and most of the time for the man is that work brilliantly and that's really what they're about but if you're going to write something like that I think you need to sort of just just take the edges off a little bit but then what do I know they've had loads of hits and I've had none so so I should just shut my great big yap really that track of, of course once once you know this I mean you may have known this already I didn't until I read about it this week um once you know this you can hear it it, it, it was inspired um by don't go breaking my heart Elton and Kiki yes, that makes sense actually yeah. I didn't know that, but now you've told me that, I'm I'm not surprised. I, I now I'm imagining "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" as sung by a Dylan and Caitlin Thomas, which I'm sure would have been a superlative version. Well, that would have been interesting. Welcome indeed to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 463. I'm Terence Stackham, and amazingly, yet to have a statue erected in her honour, it's only a matter of time, is Juliet Harris. I'd like a papier-mâché one like Frank Sidebottom, please. That would be really nice. I mean, I, I feel I haven't warranted it, but who knows? There's still some road left to run, so so yeah. fingers crossed. Hello, everyone. Well, let us begin with, with, a, with a quiz. Oh, um, I always like these. Oh, Terence, you've, uh, you've, you've brought life into my, into my podcasting career. Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to test your knowledge of music-related movies. Um, just to make it harder for, for Juliet, all of them, all of these were released long before you were born. I mean, this is always the case. And yeah. Anyone would think, I love the fact that you feel that music stopped when I was born. In a way, I'm quite flattered by that. But uh, it doesn't always make my life the easiest. So, well, I'll be here to assist you as required. Yes, you're um, always but, pretty good on that, so I won't worry. Um, now... It, to make it a little easier for you, all of the clips contain either part of the trailer or some dialogue from the movie, Absolutely. as well as musical clues. Oh. And even greater help I'm going to give you now. The movies are in chronological order and okay. they were released in, with your pen at hand if needed, 1963, 64, 70, 78 and 79, respectively. I've scribbled them down. Thank you. Very ultra kind here. Now, um... Jules, I'm expecting you, uh, d despite the fact they're all before you were born, I'm expecting you to get four from five as the so first one. So asking for the film? Just the film, yeah. yeah. Okay. Any any other information you get, I'll give you bonus points. Oh, lovely, but, uh, okay. Just the film. Um, first one may prove a bit tricky, but we'll see. Five music-based movies, please. The song-studded spectacular that's gloriously gay and deliciously young. They say that I'm a fool to weep that I won't go on losing sleep the next time. Tell me, uh, how did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. Has success changed your life? Yes. I'd like to keep Britain tidy. Are you a mod or a rocker? Um, no, I'm a mocker. Man, there's supposed to be a million and a half people here by tonight. Can you dig that? It's really amazing. It looks like some kind of uh, biblical, epical, unbelievable scene. With a cast of a half a million outrageously friendly people. Do you want me to explain in plain English? It's a dirty mess. The Broadway smash that made theatrical history by becoming one of the longest-running musical comedies of all time breaks loose on the motion picture screen. What about uh, Brighton this weekend, eh? You're going to be one of the faces down there, are you? 
I am one of the faces. No I gotta get running now. No Keep my lip button down. No Carry this baggage out. Carry this baggage out. <laughs> <laughs> that was obviously the most musically pleasurable of all of those. It has to be said. It's a, yeah, yeah, you know, once you're once you're sick of someone going, ah, you're tired of life, aren't you? Do you think you've got five before we start, or do you think it's four out of five I as think I predict? Four, yes. Okay. Is it the first one that's the stumbling yeah, block? Yeah, I'm not sure on the first one, I must admit. I, I'm not surprised. Do you want to have a guess, or do you want me to start, give, give you a few clues? A clue would be nice, please. We talked about him last week um, in terms of how many appearances on Top oh, of the Oh, is it a Cliff Richard film? It is a Cliff Richard film. Is it Summer Holiday? It's Summer Holiday. Hey, thank you very much half a point there but that was expected because that's you know it's a bit obscure um singing there the next time which is i just think it's one of cliff richard's greatest vocal oh, performances great yeah it ranks along I, I think we don't talk anymore and daddy's home for his performances nori paramore is coaxed uh who produced it coaxed mm-hmm. an outstanding performance from cliff there and in the movie which it looks like you've never seen. Um, I have, but many, many, many years ago. ago. They they used to show all of his films on uh, weekday afternoons during the school and college holidays. Uh, Me and my friends used to watch them, but obviously they they couldn't afford summer holiday. But I think I have seen it, but just a very long time ago. One of my favourite movies of all time. And it's Mm. heartbreakingly presented, the scene with Cliff singing the next time. It's Cliff and he's got the Acropolis behind him. I cry each time I, I see that scene. I, I might I might treat myself to a mm. lockdown viewing of that. It sounds good. Oh, it's a lovely film. Number two. That's a hard day's night uh, starring our favourites, the Beatles. It was um, made on a shoestring budget of £190,000, made £11 million at the box office. Wow, so. that, is, that is some return. <laughs> um, and then the third one, I, I wasn't sure if you get this, but probably a lot of clues in it. Yes. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yes, I again I have. I I've seen I saw it years ago. I think it's Woodstock, isn't it? It's tis Woodstock, and yeah. And when I went to see I think we both enjoyed the Revolution exhibition very much. Oh, of it, course it, it was featured there, it, wasn't it? It was yeah. in, in the last room. But no, a, a great film and and obviously a sort of an iconic soundtrack as well. And that exhibition we were talking about was at the Victorian Albert Museum a couple of years ago. Yeah, Martin Scorsese worked on the Woodstock movie as a junior editor. Yeah. um, But the thing, again, talking about movies making money, the Woodstock Festival itself Mm. led to the organisers losing loads of money because it turned into a free festival. But the movie made them multi-millionaires because it took $50 million at the box office worldwide. And in a way, I'm glad for them, really, that there was a Yes. The second bite of the cherry, but yes, it's it's phenomenal. And of course, I think we talked about it previously on the podcast. Has been re-released in various different iterations, and and you know, multiple multiple disc issues and stuff like that. But no, it's it, it's iconic. Um, a bit more up to date. Um, 1978 with the fourth one. Yes, that's that? that's Greece, I believe. Yes. Greece, yeah, had a massive effect on young people culture in 1978. I remember t- uh, teenagers everywhere were sort of mad on this all through that summer. Yes. And um, uh, the casting, of course, was superb and yeah. uh, be- beautifully filmed. Uh, yes. John Travolta was 23 when mm-hmm. they filmed which, Greece. Which, and actually, he doesn't look that old. You would obviously think know. that he's playing younger than he is. Yeah. But it's, I mean, parts of it. Oh, I'm sure we will come on to this when we talk about cancel culture later on. But parts yeah. of it, parts of it haven't dated very well. The idea of, mm-hmm. of sort of you know pressure on on women, you know, exerted by men in certain ways. It's it's parts of it haven't dated terribly well. But having said that, you know, it it the, the music I think will live on forever. I mean, it, it, any sort of cheesy disco that you go to even now you will probably hear the grease mega mix yes, at some point yes. and people will get up and push other people out of the way to get onto the dance floor for it it is it will endure forever I, I, that music is bomb proof it will it will never stop new generations you know 17 year old that worked in the post room in our office knew all the words and good, goodness knows how they knew all the words but they did it's the sort of thing that is just in people's dna now i think and finally carry out of rubbish here yeah, indeed. And actually, interesting that you say that it had a huge effect on teenagers, the previous mm. film. I wonder if that planted the seed for this. Yeah. So that if that planted the rock and roll revival seed, this Mods and Rockers revival that took place in 79, Quadrophenia, I think that was. 
was yeah we, we had a short burst of uh bellboy as well where the lead vocals yes. are, are by roger daughter of course but we mm-hmm. heard obviously keith moon doing yes. his best cockney geezer it was uh, it. And again, another, another marvelous film I, I i think i've still got my vhs of that somewhere possibly covered in dust i had the poster up on my wall i i, I loved it i remember the first time i saw it i thought it was incredible and uh i loved um every time they they have talking heads about it on tv i all well firstly i think Toya Wilcott and, and her partner Robert Fripp have had an excellent lockdown. Their videos have been a constant bizarre joy. But she always, I enjoy how sort of self-aware she is when she talks about things. And they said, oh, so did you enjoy it? You know, what happened at the premiere of Contrafini? She went, well, of course we all walked out because we'd been cut so badly. And you know, <laughs> she'd been cut out of it a lot. So it's Sting, you know, that, that sort of thing. She said, we walked out in protest and then laughed at herself. So, so you know, I do enjoy that. But I think it's a great film. And actually weirdly given that he's not an actor i think sting is quite good in quadrophenia there, yeah. there are many things about sting that annoy me deeply but i don't think he gets mm-hmm. the credit he deserves for being an actor actually because i think he was great in that very melancholy movie i always think quadrophenia you know it doesn't it's not a feel-good movie at all i don't think that's what's so clever about it i think mm. it starts off all kind of way on, on scooters and things and it's 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 always kind of marketed as a slightly feel-good movie mm. and you know the chanting of we're the mods and i remember being really surprised as a teenager because that's what i was expecting i was expecting it to be a real kind of almost like train spotting even though train spotting was about heroin weirdly it managed to be quite feel good in an odd way Whereas this seemed, like you say, it really does. It's almost like the bottom falls out of it towards yes. the end, and it's quite, and that's quite clever because it kind of reflects the drugs they were taking as well, I think, and the uppers mm. and the downers and that sort of thing. And I think actually, it's a rather, it's it's a it's a better film than you'd expect it to be because it is so melancholy and it is about what happens when you grow up, what happens when things aren't how you thought they'd be, and that sort of thing. And I think it's, I, I really like it. I, again, I think it's a film that has aged well and i think because it has more depth to it than you than people think it is actually a good film i think four and a half out of five for you oh, julia i'm quite pleased with that and thank you for your kindness in steering me down our <laughs> cliff richard related path is that going to become a meme now as when i the the olden days when you fought before you finally dissuaded me to stop sending you quizzes uh you failing to oh, identify yes, elvis being a being a kind of an on-running oh, theme yes. me me failing to identify cliff richard <laughs> is presumably the successor to that <laughs> yeah, i'd try and push it him into the quiz each week um now juliet there's a section now um bonus, bo- questions. bonus questions which i'm calling three bonus questions i mean i always enjoy the extent yeah. to which the extent to which you creative flourishes on this yeah multiple choice they're all based on the movies we've been talking about multiple okay. choice in the first one Cliff Richard, he's had very limited success in the States where bad luck has dogged him really musically. Why was Summer Holiday not a success at all in the States? I'm going to give you four possibilities. One of them is true. Three of them are not. So Summer Holiday just didn't do anything in the States. Firstly, Americans couldn't understand British accents. Next, President Kennedy was assassinated two days before the release and the cinemas all closed. Mm. C, or three, depending on which way you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, the master copy was lost on the QE2 ship on its way to America. Or finally, Cliff refused to release it due to cinemas opening on Sundays in America. Oh, Now, most of those are fairly credible reasons, I mm. think. Um, I am going to say I think it's B. I think it's Kennedy being shot and the cinemas closing. You're correct. President Ooh. Kennedy was assassinated yes. two and, days before summer holiday. Astonishingly bad. I mean, apart from it, I said the person for for whom it was the most bad luck is obviously Kennedy. But it is astonishingly bad luck for Cliff Richard and Co. Isn't it? I mean, you know what? That is just, it's so freakish, isn't it? Yes. I really feel for him. Poor fellow, yes. Um, no, I suppose we should feel more sorry for the Kennedy family than, uh, than, than Cliff. Yeah, who... I'm not saying that Cliff is the biggest loser in this. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying <laughs> in this context, it is unfortunate for Cliff. Second question in the the, the section called three bonus questions uh, is another multiple choice. Ooh. This one I think you're probably more like to have a guess at, but your musical knowledge, I never know. At Woodstock, not every artist uh, that appeared at the festival was featured in the movie. Hmm. Um, I'm going to list four artists or groups. Three of them played at Woodstock but weren't in the movie. 
one of them wasn't there at all. So in other words, three three of this lot played at Woodstock, one didn't, which is the one that didn't. Okay, yeah. Blood, Sweat and Tears, Cat Stevens, Credence Clearwater Revival, The Incredible String Band. Ooh. One of those did not play at Woodstock, the other three did. I am going to say The Incredible String Band. It was Cat Stevens, oh, amazingly. I really said Cat Stevens. Oh. I knew it would be one or the other. I, I knew that Blood, Sweat and Tears did, and I thought it would be astonishing. So, so yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Incredible string band, amazing to think that they were called up. <laughs> or they're the kind of band, you know. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with them, but no, you just can't cool. fit them in with the Who and Santana. It's, and it's, in, it's interesting that um that wasn't there wasn't there an influence um the Incredible String Band were one of the, the people that influenced um the White Album. I think I remember them kind of knocking that's around. So around I that wouldn't. Time. So, yeah, there's maybe something to that. Yeah. So actually, that makes it a little bit more sensible that they might move in the certain sort of circles that would have people think they could play Woodstock but yes it's it they would seem far less likely than Cat Stevens to play it and yet yes. that's happened wasn't it yeah indeed Quadrophenia mm. um I think this one I'm anyone I if anybody uh listening knows this without help or a clue <laughs> then you you really are a genius um but I just think it's an interesting fact Quadrophenia in the movie in the scene where there's a riot in Brighton, you know, as you know, mods and rockers and so on, who throws a table through a cafe window? And I'm happy to give you a clue. I think I will take that clue. Yeah, I know. I don't think anyone knows this, but he's a former player and manager of West Ham United. Oh, God. Um... And another clue, which I think you're going to need, his brother is the manager of the Who. So manager, one brother is the manager of the Who. The other brother is a former player and manager of West Ham United and Charlton Athletic, by the way, as well. Mm, oh, um, I, I, this will almost certainly be wrong. I don't think I know this. I'm going to guess at Trevor Brooking, but I think that's wrong. Alan Kerbishley. Oh, God. His brother, Bill Kerbishley, is the Who's manager. Yes, that is I, um, one of my sort of... Uh, I, when I worked in Tunbridge Wells, I, that was the place that I've worked where, weirdly, I had the most celebrity encounters, very curiously, and I don't know why. Um, and a man that walked past me once, past a posh Italian restaurant on, on the high street with a, with his wife, and he was wearing... A, actually, the first thing I noticed was he was wearing a very expensive and impressive-looking coat was none other than Alan Kerbishley. Kerbishley. Obviously, with his brother being manager of the Who, he must have said, "Oh, do you want to, you know, appear in a movie?" And that's, that's, uh, really, that's really bizarre, isn't it? That is that who who would have would have known that really? That's that what is, I say. It was more for the interesting fact than for right, anybody no, to get absolutely. it. But no, it's great, and, it, and it's almost the kind of the the other side of the of the urban myth that Bob Holness played the sax yes, on Baker Street, which yeah. everybody thinks is true. I bet if you said, "Oh, Alan Kerbishley is in Quadrophenia when he throws a table through a cafe," when you go, "Oh, that's made yeah. up, isn't it?" Says so Stuart McCoy only made that up as well and actually yes. i think it's, it's that is charming well i although i did not perform well on those bonus questions i'm delighted to know those facts they're very interesting well if if, if you the listener got the alan kerbishley one then I, i'm giving you genius rating and i think you'll write in and replace me frankly <laughs> <laughs> your talent. coming next is it time to cancel cancel culture oh, or should we it's almost like matter meeting antimatter isn't it does yes. that happen should we just ban everything to be on the safe side? Uh, that's next after Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus. This world can hurt you, it cuts you deep and leaves a scar. Things fall apart, but nothing breaks like a heart. Nothing breaks like a heart. I heard you on the phone last night. We live and die by pretty lies, you know it. We both know it These silver bullet cigarettes This burning house There's nothing left It's smoking But we both know it We got all night to fall in love But just like that we fall apart We're broken We're broken mm, Nothing, nothing, nothing Gonna save us now With this broken silence By thunder crashing in the dark Broken records, spinning less circles in the bar, spin round in the bar. This world can hurt you, it cuts you deep and leaves a scar. 
the other week about the Glastonbury coverage and and I gave yeah. sort of tips to people to watch I don't think I gave Miley Cyrus as a tip but I think she was sort of floating around the back of my my mind and I watched her set in full that was that was shown on on the live channel and it's on iPlayer still I think as well and I really enjoyed it I thought she was absolutely superb and she did lots of really interesting things she covered Led Zeppelin she covered Metallica she did the things she did from Black Mirror uh, she did some you know brilliant pop songs and in order to um, to do that one she was accompanied by Mark Ronson at the beginning on the guitar who I like very much and he wrote that song for his album in 2018 and asked her to do the vocal on it and I think it's one of the best pop songs of the last few years I love it and I think that it really showcases her fantastic country vocals and I I just think it's brilliant I think it's so well written and if you are watching the Glastonbury coverage they did they managed to segue into her doing an Amy Winehouse cover as well which I thought was was really well done so so I love that song I've been really enjoying it that is uh, mark ronson with miley cyrus and nothing breaks like a heart it's it's, it's lovely it's, it's a lovely modern country feel to it and right. country music never more popular than it than oh. it is now it's amazing i mean i think the, the, I, I do love the way mod, uh, country music has been sort of modernized and hybrid crossover mm-hmm. and so on i highly recommend um whispering bob's country show on yeah. bbc radio 2 it's on thursday evenings but it's always on bbc sounds yeah uh, so and that investigate that it looks great it really is it's a fabulous mix of um not old country really but you know sort of say classic country with uh, a great mix probably the majority of of songs like you've just played us really it's really it's really good and as i say it's on bbc sounds yeah so great track investigate that yeah i I like whispering bob a lot the, the slogan printed at the masthead of the New York Times mm. is all the news that is fit to print. Mm. Um, well, this week and not for the first time in the Trump presidency, the New York Times has itself made the news as <laughs> um, editor Barry Weiss resigned due to what she feels is the overbearing influence of cancel culture. Mm. She says she's been bullied out for trying to make a stand that seeing another side to a story um, isn't acceptable at the paper. And she was trying to go against that she Mm. says and i quote never believe a publisher who urges you to go against the grain eventually that publisher will cave to the mob and you'll be hung out to dry end of quote barry weiss she goes on to say that twitter has become the ultimate editor of the new york times due to mob mentality now relating to twitter on on a personal level i don't follow too many people almost all are known to me in some way and i'm confident that they don't won't troll me or make life difficult but in mainstream twitter so many people seem to be ever more polarized 
in this world of Twitter, the, the trending Twitter, if yes. you like. Yeah, that makes sense. People are either good or bad. Mm. Some sort of collective mob decision making takes place mm. and people could lose their jobs. We've talked about that before and their livelihood on such whims. Uh, some statues are hauled down. Some new ones are erected, as we saw in, in, in England this week. Businesses are boycotted. Others eulogised. No need for evidence. It's McCarthyism in 2020 style, Jules. Well, I, I, I mean, it's interesting because you'd think on paper that the two of us would disagree wildly on this. Um, I, I, I agree with some aspects of what you're saying and and take I don't want to say disagree I take a more nuanced view on other aspects, but um, I certainly agree that Twitter has become a, a very bring downy place, hasn't it? Really, and I think the problem is is that by reducing often very complex and nuanced issues to such cat and mouse kind of levels it undermines the points that you were trying to make I think so I completely agree that the shrieking that takes place on mm. Twitter is extremely disappointing most of the time it, it doesn't achieve any kind of purpose I recently wrote for um I, I do a bit of editing for uh, one of the local papers the the free kind of slightly left-leaning local paper called Hastings Independence um I edit a page that's called Thoughts and Voices, which is basically the comment page. And we were running short on content. I had an article I thought would fill the page and it didn't the other week. And it was still June. It was still Pride Month. And so having not managed to commission anyone to write for Pride Month, I wrote an article about trans issues. And it says a lot that I was really bracing myself for abuse mm. because I wrote something that basically said, I thought that the comments made by the new chief exec of Stonewall have really helped calm things down, I think, and basically said, look, for all of this, that this has become a reductive fight to define what is womanhood. This isn't serving anybody, really. It's not serving people that are concerned about the rights of women in certain spaces. It's not serving people who are who are trans or identify as trans. So, so I... Um, drained by by the the sort of the toxicity of some of the standards of debate that's taking place and I don't think it achieves anything one thing I would say though is to, to sort of slightly counterbalance that I I don't think we should cancel everything and and I think we've spoken previously on the podcast about how I think it's a good idea and I think Channel 4 are taking the approach that I wanted to that I wanted them to when they said when it comes to putting things on iPlayer they have pulled down, down some stuff that has blackface in it but they have said that pulling things down would be an exception rather than the rule and they would just rather want run warnings to explain you know, the context in which it was first released. I always call it the talking pictures approach. You know, this contains mm. language of its time. That's what the BBC did with a couple of the talking heads recently, the, the Adam Bennett revivals, that right. they still set them in the 80s. So before the chip in the sugar, which was the Adam, the one that was Adam Bennett originally and now Martin Freeman, there was a card at the beginning that said something like, and it dealt with gay men. This is set in the 80s and very much, the, some of the language reflects the attitudes of that time. And I think that's a good way of doing yeah. it. Having said that, I've in the past have been of the view that, oh, well, you know, protest doesn't achieve very much. You should just sit down and be sensible around tables. But there are times when it has. And actually, it was the civil rights protests in America in 1964 and, and Rosa Parks and the bus that actually set the civil rights movement in motion. So I don't I think that it is OK to protest things. And it is it's getting that balance line between calling out behavior that is obviously wrong. And if people hadn't if people hadn't called out behavior at the time we might still have we might still have slavery in place so i think that that sometimes things can't stay the same forever and that social change has to happen so i do i do think that i don't think that i think it's getting the balance right between trying to well on both sides trying to shut down legitimate criticism so i think it's wrong to shut people down without a chance for redemption if you see what i mean and this idea of kind of witch hunts i certainly don't agree with but on the other hand shutting down any criticism of yourself without showing any reflection or without you know without necessarily showing showing any signs of growing you know, I, I, I don't like the phrase cancel culture, but I do like the idea that there is some behaviour that is unacceptably footed in the past and has to change. So I completely agree with you that this kind of knee jerk reaction is not very helpful. Having said that, I think that the, the cancel culture has almost become the new political correctness in the sense that you use that as a phrase to basically say, well, I don't want to change and I'd like you to stop asking me difficult questions now. So I think I think it's a sliding scale, which is an incredibly 
boringly sensible answer, I suppose. But but my my view is is that I agree with you that in order to expose mostly in order to to sort of expose views you have to expose them to the light and debate them but equally i don't like the idea of cancel culture being you the idea of cancel culture and in inverted commas being used as a phrase that can shut down any legitimate criticism yeah i, I come back to slavery in a second because I, I just scribbled myself a little note here okay, yep. in, uh, but um it was an yeah. example but i'm happy to be challenged on it no not going to challenge it no i just, just sort of say something about it twitter mobs and uh yeah. keyboard warriors they're, they're a hideous they are a hideous reminder yes, to no, me of the, agree with you of the joseph mccarthy era yeah in american politics in the 1950s anybody doesn't know about it's where people who were deemed subversive uh particularly in the arts and entertainment were isolated and denied work and when you look at it now with it with the retrospect of uh, almost 70 years charlie chaplin danny kay oh. leonard bernstein orson wells thousands right. of others yeah. Well, on this list, the McCarthy list, and you know, there were attempts to stop them getting work. And it grieves me to, to see this happening again in 2020, as I think it does you. All of this seems to happen in an instant now with riotous keyboard pylons. And uh, to win the argument over bigots and extremism in particular, it, it, the answer isn't to become bigger bigots um, and great, great <laughs> extreme bigger bigots um, in the other direction. We have to learn understand where views uh, we disagree with come from and then by discussion and argument and importantly through democracy make rational decisions and majority outcomes but you mentioned slavery and it's you you used the word nuanced and i think this is so life is far more nuanced than right or left 100 percent correct and 100 percent wrong and it's funny i was reading about um this chap this week i um it rather makes this point um a bloke probably i don't know if I knew about this bloke or I'd forgotten from history. But anyway, a bloke called John Newton. He was the captain of slave ships in the 18th century um, in, in the most hideous way, you know, behaved oh. abominably and so on. Later in life, he changed course, uh, became a priest and pressed for the abolition of slavery. Oh. And when he became a priest, he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Oh. And Mahalia Jackson sang Amazing Grace Hmm. at Martin Luther King's funeral. So under mob mentality, Hmm. my question is, is John Newton a saint or a sinner? As I say, life is, and as you said, is is, um, nuanced. So like all of us, John Newton was probably a bit of both, a man who did bad things and then did good things. So should we throw him in the sea or raise a statue? I mean, obviously we should do neither, but we can learn from his life. Yes, I think that's a really good example. And actually, I'm going to use, I mean, obviously not to the same magnitude, but we spoke previously about the Labour MP Naz Shah, who, um, a, a young, well, a, yes, a young Muslim woman who took, who the biggest joy, one of the very few joys of the 2015 election night for me was uh, her taking the seat off the odious George Galloway, um, one of the Bradford seats. And that was, you know, that was a real kind of, um, that was a real joy, I think, particularly as she mobilised a lot of women to vote for her and I think that was in that was absolutely incredible she had made some historic posts about Israel that appeared to be anti-semitic on her Facebook and she instantly said I can see how these are wrong but I want to work with the Jewish community to educate myself she worked very closely with their with her local synagogue who at the end of the process had absolutely nothing but praise for her and the journey that she'd been on. So I think we should always give people a chance for redemption. I think that's a good thing. Having said that, though, I will come back to the point that I made earlier Mm -hmm. in that when people like Toby Young say, oh, it's council culture, I've found some of Toby Young's views to be completely obnoxious over the years. Yes, they are. Partly because he has never repented for them. Not not repented, sorry. That's, well, that's, yeah, I was going to say, should yes. he repent? I, I will instantly put that back <laughs> in my mouth and apologise for that. But he's never, okay, he's never shown... He's never shown any indications of self-reflection or growth. That's the better way of putting that, I think. Yeah. And I and I think that that I, I I find it very interesting that some of the people that are using the phrase cancel culture are people who I think 
have never changed their views and will never change their views and not always but in some cases have have uh, have views that are quite regressive so so actually i think it's always good to you to give people a chance for redemption but equally like the same people that say oh, well that's just politically correct you know saying you know oh, this is ridiculous why can't i why can't i call people what i want and be really obnoxious in the street i do i do find a little bit sometimes that these kind of phrases are sort of used by people as a get out of jail free card for being thoughtless impolite inconsiderate so so i agree that that you know twitch fort mobs i think as grace dent used to call them are, are are extremely unpleasant but so too are people using phrases like cancel culture and political correctness to get out of examining their own views or any kind of personal growth this is maybe where we disagree because with say toby young who to, to me as well i have no uh, common ground with him generally at all he, he says associate you in mind no he says <laughs> and writes you know things that you know are totally obnoxious and stuff, i have huge amounts of trouble but, with. indeed but i don't want him because i disagree with him but i don't want him to lose his job his and therefore perhaps his home perhaps even you know his marriage and his family just because he writes things that you and I don't agree with. I mean, and I don't necessarily want him to use his job, but equally, I don't want him to shut down any criticism whatsoever with saying... No, no, he shouldn't be shutting down people at all, no. No, and and, and that is the kind of person Mm. that I've seen being very vocal about cancel culture. So that is just my view. I mean, I'm not a fan of Toby Young at all, but obviously I wish him every happiness, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I find find people that... I I sniff a word that I, I do feel that cancel culture is going to become the new political correctness in that whilst there are parts of cancel culture that are tedious and I completely agree with you it will end up being used to try and resist any criticism and to justify it being okay to behave obnoxiously and inconsiderately of others coming right up Mm. etiquette for zoom video calls oh yes i I mean for example i am doing this whilst wearing clothes which seems to be an actual clothes that are not pajamas which seems to put me in the top five percent of uh, of (laughs) online conversation users that's uh, coming up right after gary clark
Recently, he's produced and written hits for a host of other artists, but this is from the 1993 album Ten Short Songs About Love, Gary Clark and Free Floating. I really enjoyed that, and, and uh, it, it seems to fit in with the with the theme, literally, of smooth sailing with the floating. Yes, I, I may well utilise that for this week's show. I like that very much. Good choice. Mm. Um, a decade or so ago, when video calling was still in its infancy, if you worked in an office, you would almost certainly become involved in a conference call. But it would be audio only, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, where the frustrations were immense as people joined and dropped from the mm-hmm. call. On the line, you could hear callers scratching about, banging the phone, forgetting to <laughs> mute, forgetting to unmute. But the beauty of it was you could do the crossword, you could make a drink, you could stare out the window. Nobody would know. With the awfulness of the pandemic, many people are now undertaking these conference calls from home. But the horror now is that we are firmly in the video call age and there's no escape. Your face is in close up all the time. Several incidents have gone viral. Children bursting into rooms, naked partners (laughs) suddenly appearing in the background. (laughs) That was my favourite, I think. Right. This this week, the MP John Nicholson, Scottish MP, was yeah. taking part in a parliamentary committee <laughs> meeting when his cat Rocco took over the screen by jumping in front of the camera. The still of the tail in the middle and John Nicholson looking slightly cross-eyed in staring at it is uh, is uh, really good. I have a similar photograph, by the way, when I played when I was playing a board game with somebody over Zoom, their cat jumped on the table. <laughs> so there is a board game. I've got a photo of a board game with a similar ginger tail right in the middle of it. Also, John Nicholson, um, with his cat Rocco jumping up like that, meant his contribution was largely forgotten as everyone sent virtual love to Rocco the cat. (laughs) Um, But video calling on Zoom, it elicits odd behaviour from humans too. Suddenly, this is one of the things, suddenly when introduced, the most serious commentator, Mm. politician or businessman or woman, gives this camp little wave. They always be like saying, and now I introduce Juliet Harris. You give this little, oh, hello. Oh, Um, yes. (laughs) Jules, my first rule, when on a Zoom call, stop waving. Absolutely. That having said that, I um, I had a panel interview for something today um, by three very professional people who were very nice. And uh, I was actually quite charmed by one of them going, great to meet you. Got to go now. Bye. I'm waving at the end. <laughs> I thought that was actually very cheery. Um, this, this article, I don't usually read CNN business, I must admit. Maybe that is a gap in my kind of lifestyle. I, I don't. It must I, be. I don't usually find myself on this website. But this is a very interesting article about what why we feel the compulsion to wave on video calls because you know i don't have a i don't have meetings in person meetings where i feel i feel i need to wave and my a friend of mine actually said to me earlier today what are we going to do when meetings are in person there we're all going to be sitting in our pajamas waving at each other in the same yeah. and uh, this, this cnn business thing says um at the end of video of every video call meeting whether it's a webex with colleagues i don't know what webex is it's, 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 if i read cnn business i would yeah, it's a kind of more business like skype 
I get it confused with FedEx. Maybe it's the same. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyway. WebEx with colleagues or a Zoom catch up with friends. I find myself waving goodbye and everyone else's too. And she's done a search and um, someone tweeted, why do I feel compelled to wave in block capitals at the end of Zoom calls? I've never literally walked out of a meeting room waving, tweeted one person, garnering, garnering over 16,000 likes. Um, and so this article is trying to look up why we've all started waving. Um, it's this idea that, that video calling is now the norm, as you say, whereas we usually have in-person meetings. Now lots of stuff is taking place. And this Laura Dudley, who's an associate clinical professor at Northeastern University and an expert in behavioural analysis and body language, says that she thinks that we're hungering for human interaction and friendliness. Um, there's no personal touch. You don't have the cues and the body language things that you do in quite the same way. It almost feels like someone being on your screen is like someone being behind glass, I think, literally. You, 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 they're there, but they're not there, if you see what I mean. It's very obvious that they're somewhere else and not in the room with you. So we don't have those kind of in-person cues that we otherwise would do. She says, um, we're hungering for friendliness. So we're starting to do things like waving to say goodbye. It feels a little nicer than just clicking off. Although most calls me always end in people cheerily waving and then going, which one do I press before it then oh, finishes? God, yeah. But, um, and I am that person. And they said that, that the same signals that you want to end a meeting, like closing your new notebook, checking your watch, putting things in a bag or getting ready to stand up, don't don't they don't translate on a video call. So so actually, maybe this is our way of trying to evolve a new way of kind of you know waving and smiling to kind of say, you know, I'm going now. This is finished. Mm -hmm. And it says uh, this is interesting. Melanie Brewster, who's at Columbia University, associate professor of counseling psychology, says people are overperforming social cues of closer because crossing out of a window on your computer is so much more ambiguous than standing up, walking out of a room or doing other signaling for in-person terminations of meetings, which I think is really interesting. And it also helps it be less kind of abrupt, I suppose, in 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 finishing a meeting rather than just going, oh, I'm going to I'm literally going to click across and make you go away now, because that's essentially what you're doing. Or I'm going to press a button that means that I leave and you don't see me anymore by kind of waving or smiling or sort of, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's a nice way of doing it. I think I know it's a bit. I know it, you, you think, oh, for goodness sake, I haven't waved at people previously. Mm -hmm. If that's what it takes to, to restore or to kind of maintain human connections at a time where we all feel apart if, and we are literally apart and then then i can get on board with it actually and it is quite a quite a cheery thing and to have someone wave at you at the end of a panel interview is absolutely charming i think so so i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a fan you know you how do you say goodbye you wave don't you and actually if you were dry if you were driving a a car away so say you've been to visit family and and you're getting in a car and they so they see you off don't they people sometimes see yes. off visitors from their house and you know you'd always lean out of a car window and wave and people on the front door would wave so i just kind of see it as that really as sort of seeing you seeing you on your way through life really so it does seem a bit idiotic waving at a screen when you think about it but having said that i can certainly see the argument that it is a way of a sort of a human cue that is a bit nicer ending them how do i get out of this clonk i mean i do i do see that it is a, a slightly more human way of doing it and i quite like waving i think it's quite funny you've made me think there because you used a phrase um which i love overperforming social cues That's a and, article but it was a good one yeah. i really liked it and um, this is don't worry this isn't a downer but it reminds me of my, <laughs> my father's funeral but don't don't worry this is not a horrible thing no, I, um, I trust in you yeah but i'm it's the overperforming social cues because um i'm not naturally a hugger and a kisser and an, oh lovely to see you and you know that sort of thing um but on that day as we came out of the church and before we all went off um to the cemetery i i was going around kissing all the attendees on the on the cheek and my sister and my my partner said what are you doing what are you doing so it's like people i'd never met before people like obscure friends of my father or my, you know and their wives and that and mm. i was going up and saying oh thank you so much for coming and kissing them on the cheek i've never gone around kissing people on the cheek in my life so mm. i think it's that in a certain situations in perhaps stressful situations which a zoom call could be rather like me at a funeral mm. we overperform to the social cues that's really interesting mm. that's a really interesting comparison but yes I, I think that's right particularly under times of emotional dislocation yes. 
stress, I think. And I think that's a really good comparison because, yeah, we, we are all, as a friend of mine said to me on the phone the other day, nobody is quite themselves at the moment. No matter how well we think we're coping, it's such a weird time where everything became different. And, and it's hard now as we start over here in Britain to try and come out of lockdown in a way. It's really strange that we we are it's like someone literally flick i know people were starting to lock themselves down but someone flicked a switch overnight but it doesn't work the same way in reverse there isn't a switch we can flick back and go oh yeah everything's fine now everything's normal no matter how much some people think we can we can't is the reality of it so we are all trying to deal with the various cycles of really grief i think i've heard a lot of people talking on, on the radio about this being a sort of a grief cycle really more than anything else and I I think that that you're right to make that comparison about the sort of the emotional dislocation mm. that in a way you know we 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 we're trying to sort of find a way of things being okay at the moment I think and if and if that's cheerily waving at people I think that's a pretty benign and quite a sweet way to do things really so so I can see why people are doing it and actually I'd much rather have someone cheerily wave me goodbye on a window before clicking the cross rather than just sort of going oh well I'm off now and then pressing across I think it's I think it's a good way of trying to maintain our bonds I, I wrote some zoom rules I'm going to amend the first one then because the first one was don't wave but I take your point so I'm going to say um you know do wave if you wish um second one is uh, don't roll a joint on screen my, my zoom I, rules oh wow i think that is that is perfectly sensible mm. frank you do it in the bathroom like everyone else does yeah um wear <laughs> trousers no matter what yes absolutely uh, don't turn yourself into an amusing icon putting on virtual false ears and nose just before oh, a vital business call I, I find that very irritating although a friend of mine has made some excellent backgrounds over him presenting countdown and so on which i always find very <laughs> interesting. And also the bbc at the beginning of this released loads of stills from sets that you could use as a as a zoom background so so you can be i think the set of the top of the pops the tardis <laughs> um there were lots of game shows sets that ITV released I think I, I did actually do a quiz with the background of who wants to be a millionaire or, or, or a friend of mine who is an MP I had to do a guest round for an East of England young Labour quiz I think and we were debating beforehand over which background and she uh, she used your your favourite game show the Danny Dyer presented game oh, show what was God. that called that you, that you disliked so much I can't remember I want I, to call it The Wall that's what it was called that's it the oh the my wall. God that's it was a Thing I, I'd be interested to see if we see another series of The Wall. I very much doubt it. But no, I'm a big fan of comedy Zoom backgrounds, but uh, rabbit filters, I, I think, are not ideal. My best Zoom advice is um, claim your camera isn't working and put five <laughs> layers of duct tape over it. And, and then, of course, the bonus of that is the trouser rule no longer applies. Well, that kind of negates every other rule, doesn't it? That, it does. Because yeah. it's, that, that is the fight club rule, isn't it? That just kind of <laughs> makes everything else sort of irrelevant, really. So maybe we should just have one rule, which is tape up your camera and say it doesn't work. That is surely the, the only guide you need. Now, thanks, as always, for listening and being with us. Yes, I'm very grateful. And if you are Toby Young and listening, I am to some extent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jules, instead of providing entertainment, you chose lolling around on the sofa last weekend. Well, it wasn't quite like that. But if that's oh. what you wish to believe, Terence, then I won't cancel you for it. But you're back, back, back with your shows this week. I am, yes. Having had a very refreshing weekend off doing some vital prep for something else, um, I, I'm delighted to return to my Mixler channel this week. If you go on to Mixler, which is mixlr.com and search my name Juliet Harris you can subscribe to my channel and I will be on presenting live doing a two-hour Northern Soul show that's called the Saturday Social and that's Northern Soul Motown mod etc it's quite sort of sunny upbeat music for a Saturday evening from five to seven if you want something a little bit more mellow I do something called smooth sailing on Sunday night which is seven till nine and just sort of uplifting but more mellow kind of sounds, um, yacht rock, um, uh, sort of smooth stuff, M.O.R., easy listening, classic pop, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's music that, that people that have listened to, to, I think we're all kind of slightly glorying in this music, really. I hate the term guilty pleasure. I never use it. I think you should like what you like. Mm -hmm. Having said this, as I commented to a friend the other day, we were having a cup of coffee on the beach. Um, I probably wouldn't tell people that the Carpenters are one of my favourite bands. I usually wouldn't volunteer that information, but they are, and it's a pleasure to play them most weeks. So so that's what I'll be doing this weekend. 
Now, as everyone probably is uh, aware, when the, the quiz questions each week, you have no idea uh, what's coming yeah. up. So it's a quite uh, strange uh, coincidence that you chose our uh, final track here because it's to play us out a reference back to the Grease movie uh, that we talked about yeah. earlier. This band taking their name. That's, that is a superb spot, by the way, Terence. Well done. It's a, it's, a, it's a band that named themselves after one of the secondary characters in mm. Greece. So not one of the leads, but a band called Knicky. Now, I've I brought them up for two reasons. Firstly, because I was having a bit of a, not a depressed, but a slightly melancholy, tired day the other week. And I, I happened upon their second their second album, which is really an interesting record um and a friend of mine uh, called ben sent me his book which is very interesting about um which have various chapters in it including about getting kanicki's second album which is very much an album recorded off the adrenaline rush of the first album there's an excellent documentary on youtube that's worth investigating i think it's kanicki 1998 documentary or something but you find it fairly easily that really is a band at the point of cynicism and exhaustion and collapse and the second record is a real kind of hangover record i suppose really and it and it's got some great moments on it one of which we'll play shortly but the knicky also one of the bands on i pre you know when you pre-order things before release cds and things and you if you're me you forget completely about them and then um three months later it lands on your door and you think oh yes i did order that <laughs> it's a cherry red do excellent compilations there are so many that are so grand and the day this was announced six different people sent me a message to say they I'd like this which it shows how predictable I am but also shows how many people in my life are very sweet and know me very well and take an interest um it's a compilation called supersonics 40 junk shop brit pop greats and the idea is is that it's the it's some of the music that was going on between 93 and 2000 that was more amongst the periphery of brit pop if you see what i mean so so it doesn't have oasis blur supergrass elasticus wave pop it doesn't have the big hits on it but it has some of the more interesting bands that were happening it's got some of my favorite songs on it and it looks great it's got the delgados and Huggy bear and heavenly i'm delighted by the way small young indie kid me is delighted that i know at least six of the artists artists on this cd first mm-hmm. which makes me sound starrier than i am but to not to a sort of me in 1996 i'd have been hugely impressed but anyway it's got some great numbers on it i would recommend it it's got some really unusual things that you don't hear very often it has a kanicki track on it which is one of their one of their more known ones which has come out tonight one of their singles but i picked this um because i think it is the finest moment from their their second album it's a beautiful song that i wish had had more success actually because i think it's grand um and it sums up how sort of tired and disillusioned they felt. It's a pop single, which the opening line is, I'm in pieces, can no one see it? Which I think is really, you know, there's some really honest writing on that second down, which I would recommend. But anyway, this is, um, as led by the glorious Lauren Laverne, this is Knicky and I Will Fix You.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Tickets for the Woodstock Music and Arts Fair are $7, $14, and $18 for one, two, or three days and can be purchased in advance at most local record stores. No checks will be accepted at the gate. Be at the Woodstock Music and Arts Fair August 15th, 16th, and 17th in Bethel, New York.